0: If you're a person who's really, who you feel like it's really important to be right and you make it known to your partner that like, this is the right way to do these things. Like I'm right here and there's no other way around it. You cut off uh, an opportunity to really like connect with someone or to be very present and show someone that like we differ here and that's actually okay.
1: Welcome to Perennials, a podcast about growing up, getting wise, and trying to live a good life. I'm Victoria Russell. Today, I'm talking about couples therapy with Dr. Nadia Nieves. Dr. Nieves earned her master's in psychology and doctorate in clinical psychology from the New School for Social Research. She is a limited permit therapist in New York City, working with individuals and couples struggling with relationship stress, anxiety, and depression. She's working towards a specialty in treating couples using an integrated approach of relational psychodynamic, cognitive behavioral therapy, and emotion-focused therapy interventions. She prioritizes supporting her clients in learning how to understand each other, navigating life transitions and conflict, and facilitating adaptive communication skills. I was so excited to pick Nadia's brain about some of what she sees in her practice doing couples therapy. I feel like so much of the important stuff that happens with couples is private and happens behind closed doors, the littlest things and the biggest things, the great stuff and the hard stuff. And so sometimes we're left wondering what's normal, quote unquote, or even just how to approach or handle different things that arise in the relationship in our day-to-day life together. So today we're dispelling some myths about couples therapy and who it's for We're talking about expectations, communication, self-compassion, and self-worth. And we're naming a few common topics that come up that couples sometimes wonder, is this normal? Do other people wrestle with this? Is this really bad? (laughs) But are things that are actually quite common. And I want to say that what we talk about in today's conversation, I think can be helpful in any type of relationship. Being clear on your expectations, respecting differences, giving yourself and the other person grace and space really applies to your relationships with family and friends and colleagues too. So whatever relationship or relationships come to your mind while listening, I know you will love how warm and smart and down to earth Nadia is. I loved having this conversation. I could have gone on for several hours asking Nadia more and more questions. So I hope you enjoy and feel free to let me know any thoughts you have about the episode. You can email me at perennialspodcast or find me on Instagram at perennialspodcast. Take care. Nadia, welcome to Perennials. Hi, how are you? good. It's so good to have you on. Thank you. I'm excited. So I would love to just start by having you tell listeners a little bit about yourself and specifically what has drawn you to the field of uh, couples therapy.
0: I graduated from the new school in New York city with my PhD in clinical psychology and I've been doing therapy now. I think it's been like seven years, almost no, eight years. And I think I've always been interested in doing couples therapy, but there weren't a lot of uh, training opportunities early in my career. And I got the opportunity to see a couple at a hospital setting. And um, it was just so interesting and exciting and uh, very stressful. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And there was something about The type of um, work that I could do with people, uh, with two people, and just sort of like create change immediately, like right in front of me that I just, I fell in love with. Mm. Um, And I used to work with um, families when I was starting at 17 years old. Um, I worked with kids with autism and I got to see what family dynamics were like when there was a person with a neurodevelopmental disorder. And um, often, even though I was working with the children in those families, the parents would actually ask me a lot of questions about how they should deal with the stress of having a child with a disability, Mm. Um, how that stress like impacted their relationships. So I got a lot of like little bits and pieces of sort of doing my own kind of like family couples therapy really early on. And I did not know what I was doing
1: until now. (laughs) Mm. yeah that's really interesting I would love to know like when you are seeing that change happen right in front of you in the moment where does that come from does that come from just being able to help change the way that people are communicating or is it having the safety of I don't know a container for whatever difficult conversation they're having like what do you think is it that helps you to see a change in the moment?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, uh, the container idea, like the containing aspect of what I do is really, um, a really big part of what I do and how change actually happens. But I think what also happens is that often, like when you're in a relationship, it's, it's kind of like you have tunnel vision or you, you can you sort of like create tunnel vision over a long period of time and you sort of stop being able to see who it is you are in your relationship or who it is that you're being and sometimes you you just need someone to watch you and watch you like react to different things and then also watch the partner react and see and, and sort of like label what's happening so sometimes like I'll see a couple and they're they're talking about this. Uh, cycle that they've been in for years and years and years, and they're just like, well, we don't know what else to do. You're basically our last hope, and and they'll they'll make it sound as if like they can't do anything else, and then like they don't have a lot of hope for me doing anything. And sometimes what all I have to do is just identify what it is that they're doing. Like I just I just name like, it looks like when this happens, you do this. What's that about? And that can actually be like a big mechanism for change in itself, is just being able to like have someone give them feedback. So it's very it's a very like active process. Uh, I get I do a lot more talking in couples therapy than I do in individual therapy, and I think like to your point about the container uh, or containing, I think what's also interesting is that like often a couple will bring up a topic that they brought up maybe 10 years ago in their relationship at uh, one time. And then now that they're seeing me, now they want to talk about it 10 years later because they, they mm. feel like this is the only safe way that they can do it.
1: Oh my gosh. There's so much there. That's so fascinating. I have to <laughs> pick where to go, but I guess one thing that really stuck out to me from what you were just saying is that tunnel vision and how you can stop seeing who you are being with the other person. And I feel like, like I've seen in myself how sometimes, you know, my partner is someone I love so much and yet I'm not always the best version of myself with him. Sometimes I'm like, you know, sometimes he sees the worst parts of me because I feel, you know, like my mask drops with him. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, Sometimes he sees the worst and it can be really hard for me to acknowledge it or like forgive myself sometimes, because of course I don't want to treat him poorly or hurt him in any way or be, you know, like the worst version of myself. So it's like easier to blame or deflect sometimes or just try to, yeah, try to like deflect the blame and not take responsibility. And you and I talked about how like having self-compassion is really important Mm -hmm. because That's like a route by which you can actually be kinder and more forgiving to your partner, but it can feel counterintuitive almost to like be nice to yourself when you're not being nice. (laughs) So I'm curious what role that self-compassion plays in the work that you do with couples.
0: Yeah. So self-compassion is huge for so many reasons. And in, in, uh, when you're seeing someone individually for therapy, I think that can actually be like one of the biggest lessons that you can learn from giving yourself the space to talk about things and really like be honest about what you're struggling with. And usually that's like a really good place to start. I think with just like working on yourself It's just like trying to figure out how you can just allow, allow yourself to make mistakes, allow yourself to get ugly and weird and kind of gross and messy. But I think in terms of getting messy and sort of like chaotic even within a relationship is a whole other story and does require, I think, a lot of self-compassion. Because the, the really interesting thing about romantic relationships is that you really become, you really get to see um, parts of yourself that you don't even know where you didn't even know were there Maybe They're, It's kind of amazing how like with different people, they can bring up different parts of yourself. And I think like in a romantic relationship, you are sort of like allowing yourself to be whoever you are in that relationship, unless you're trying to be perfect. And by the way, that's not really a thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it does feel like for people who they maybe get angrier than they thought they could, or like they get sadder than they thought they could, like within their relationship, they start to think like, well, there's something wrong with me and I'm not supposed to be sad or angry or maybe even just like uncomfortable in my relationship. Everything's just supposed to be easy. And I think what what I end up having to help couples with is giving them the education about like well getting getting really messy and 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 weird is like very natural and is also really expected in a relationship. People activate things in each other that i think if you don't look at them and if you don't talk about them or even just name them like i said before then you really miss a lot about what your relationship is about. I do think that it's it is really helpful to use like the analogy of the relationship between like a mother and her baby. This is like what we call upon in what we call attachment theory, like quite a bit, where uh, we talk about how a new human learns about the world and learns about like safety in the world and exploration in the world by relating and staying close to their their primary caregiver. And it's such like a it's such a, a rich relationship uh, because the the infant is like learning physiologically like how to adapt to an entire universe Um, and what we learn in that relationship in those relationships with our primary caregivers and the people that are close to us as we're growing up we apply them automatically to our adult relationships and some of those like lessons that you learn really early on can they can most of them are incomplete Like we don't learn absolutely everything from the early relationships that we have. Usually like you end up learning something that you didn't know you were going to when you're an adult or when you're in an adolescent relationship. And so what you do with those new things, they can bring out that ugly side or that, that, you know, that angry side that you don't really like to see, or that even that anxious side. And I think it's really important to be able to say to yourself or like notice for yourself when you start to be really hard on yourself for letting those things happen, like letting them come up. And then in in my work, like what I really like to do is uh, show each partner um, that they can forgive themselves and they also can forgive each other for the mistakes that they've made which is a really hard process, but it is a really important
1: one. I, I would actually love to kind of step back for, for a minute and just talk about how I think there's still kind of stigma around couples therapy and
0: mm.
1: who it's for. Like, I think most people have an image of it's a married couple. Maybe they've been together for a long time and probably they're like, on the break of divorce. (laughs) Like, I just think that's a very common image that people have. So I'd love to hear from you as a couples therapist, who, who is it for and who is coming in? I know that I'm sure. Plenty of couples that come in maybe do fit that description, but it's not just for those couples. Right.
0: Yeah. So actually one thing that I have found to be really interesting Um or really like eye-opening for me was like just the, the variety of, of presenting problems that I get. So I have couples that have been married for, I think the longest marriage I was working with was 30 years. And uh, I've also worked with couples who they've only been together for a year and they're in their early twenties, which is, I think, to me it feels like a new thing for a, for younger couples to be interested in giving themselves a space in in what seems like a newer relationship to work on something. So like I have I have couples who are like in their 20s and sometimes they kind of need help just talking about what the next steps are for them and figuring out like what's okay and what's not. I think it's like some some attempt to kind of like have someone give them like a tutorial um, for how to be in a long-term relationship. I mean, I think for the younger couples, my theory is, uh, and that I haven't tested it yet, but um, what I think is that there have been, I think the last few generations have like experienced uh, a lot of like divorced parents um, or like a lot of parents who, uh, who are separated. And so often they might not get to see like, what it looks like to have a long to be in a long-term relationship where there are conflicts and they get repaired. And so I think like maybe these younger couples are coming in because they want to be able to see what that's like or experiment with it and they don't know where to go, other than someone who's seen a lot of relationships like like I have. <laughs> um, and for those older couples like yes like you're right like often they'll come in when they're just like we don't know what else we're going to do like this is kind of our our last resort and also we're kind of embarrassed to be doing this and and sometimes like the first thing that I end up doing is just like uh validating the need for a space to or validating the need for like there to be someone else just to see what's happening because like, like I said earlier, like you can really stop seeing who you are in your relationship and you kind of need help, like pointing some of those things out. Um, and so I, I get those kinds of couples. I also get the couples where like they're in the middle, where they don't have these like huge, huge issues that, that, that consist of them like screaming at each other and uh, there's like no respect in the relationship or that they're only just like trying to look for some guidance. Sometimes a lot of times I do get those metal people where um, they've been together for like like a couple of years and they're just kind of wondering if they're missing anything. Um, And maybe they have like these minor conflicts, but like they really wanna know what their patterns look like. And if someone could just like tell them what it is that they're doing so that they know what not to do next time. Um, and some people also want to work through things like, yeah, I have a partner who has trauma. Like, what do I do? Like, we want to be able to work on this together. And I also have people who are not in romantic relationships together, but they they work together or they're they're really good friends and they want to work on their on just relating to each other. So, couple therapy is normal, <laughs> um, and it is also for a
1: wide range. Of relationships. Mm. It's so fascinating to to hear about people searching for modeling. And especially after you touched upon attachment theory and kind of the patterns that are embedded into us from a young age and how they can come up, how they come up in relationships. I, I feel like it's really interesting. It's like a lot of couples live pretty isolated, right? And I don't know. I'm just kind of thinking through how like so much of what couples go through, like, is kept really private. And it's hard to know like what is quote unquote normal, right? Or like how people (laughs) work through certain things when you just don't see it modeled. So I'm just really curious in terms of when couples are looking for modeling and looking to understand more about just how relationships can work and how healthy relationships work. Mm-hmm. Are there some common problems or struggles or dynamics that couples bring into therapy that, that they are scared of, or that they think are uncommon, or they think like, oh, this must be really bad that actually mm-hmm. you found are like pretty common. Absolutely. Um, I do feel like, uh, a lot of what I end up
0: uh, feeling the need to do is just like letting letting the couple know that these things come up with other people and that it's okay and that these things are workable they're not they're not going to destroy your relationship essentially they will if you avoid them so one of the things that comes up quite a bit actually is chores <laughs> uh doing oh my gosh yeah <laughs> things like <laughs> yeah like like the laundry, like who does the laundry, who takes out the garbage, who takes care of the dog, who, uh, if, if, you know, I spent all day working, but you also spent all day working, like, and we're both tired, who is going to cook dinner, who's going to order out and then who's going to do the dishes? <laughs> um, Freaking there, dishes. I've had so many, <laughs> <laughs> I've had so many conversations about dishes that, Um, I don't know. I feel like there should be like a specific, I don't know, like emoji or something that is just like, let's, (laughs) let's just take a picture of our problems and it's who's going to do the dishes. And I think like it really highlights um, what it means to like, like smash your life together with another person uh, is that you are like? Let's say you're in a long-term relationship, and like you decide that you're gonna move in with this person, or and and you're going to start sharing stuff. That kind of includes the kitchen sink, and it also includes things like washing machines and like all those things that um we you know we see on commercials where like you know I think I think wives always get that uh that sort of reputation for being like, okay, if you're a, if you're a wife or if you're like the female identified person in the relationship, then this is what you're going to take care of. Whereas like now I think, uh, we have to really start like fighting against like the stereotype of like who's supposed to do what in a household. Um, because those like preconceived notions and those like expectations, they ruin relationships or like they ruin like your ability to like trust and feel like warm with another person. I think uh, I've had a couple of couples where we talked about what it was like to create something like a chore chart and just the idea sends people off in like to so many different directions. Be- and I think it's mostly because you what you use as a frame of reference um, is your family, and the way that the members of your family did things. Uh, if you're doing something different than that, or if your partner is doing something different than what you expected, then you're gonna have feelings about it. And it's really not it's it's really hard to have uh, to not have feelings about dishes <laughs> because you know who did them in your family, and if you did them yourself, then like that's fantastic. Um, But that's something that we talk a lot about is like responsibility. And I also think like it ends up bringing up themes of, um, well, do you think that I'm just like an object to you or like a tool, like someone who lives with you just to take care of you in this very, very specific way. And I need that to be acknowledged if that's the deal, or I need you to split it with me because Most people don't like doing dishes unless they really like daydreaming with the water on. (laughs) So I think like it brings up a lot for different people. And I think that what we have to be really, really uh, what we have to pay attention to is the tone at which we're using when we're talking about dishes, when we're talking about chores, because you're inherently asking someone to do something that they don't want to (laughs) do.
1: And that's going to bring up conflict for anybody. Oh my gosh. It's, you and I talked about this another time, but dishes was like such a huge thing for me when my boyfriend moved in (laughs) during, during quarantine. But I I'm just fascinated by how much like you're identifying how much we bring to a relationship that predates, not only predates Mm -hmm. our relationship, but predates our birth. Like When it comes to our attachment style and even like the cultural messages that we get from our families, from, you know, whatever culture our family is closest to. And then from like the dominant culture in terms of media and the values and uh, habits and skills that are kind of conditioned into people based on their gender. Like we're just bringing Mm -hmm. so much into the relationship. Like you said, like bringing everything in the kitchen sink, right. Um, (laughs) it's a lot. And a lot of it is so unspoken. It's just like Mm -hmm. things that we take for granted Mm -hmm. or things that were wired into us.
0: Yeah. And I really do believe that we're always building something. I mean, we're also always building on something, um, like all of those uh, things that we complain about our partners, um, they're, they they do not come from nowhere. And I think a mistake that people often make too, when they're, when they're in a long-term relationship is that they start to think that like certain behaviors or, um, or even certain reactions to things like directly relates to like how good a partner is. And so like, Things like doing the dishes, like I know that there are some, like a lot of people actually feel like, well, I use like whether or not the person does chores around the house as a marker for how good of a partner they're being. And so if they don't do the dishes, if they, or if they only ask like maybe once a week or something like, oh, like, do you want me to do the dishes this time around? Then that means that, I don't know, like you're like, you're not a good partner or, that you're not meeting some sort of like unsaid expectation. Um, and sometimes it can be these really strict like rules that you have on, on someone or on like what you expect from the relationship. When those things, those were never said, like when you met each other for the first time and they're not said in your vows um, or if you're not married, like they're not said um, when like you decide that you're going to be with someone. Um, so I think that like, we have to be really careful about, about those things about like the expectations that we have for each other.
1: Yeah. That's such a good point. I remember like when I went to my therapist and was just like, I'm getting really mad about these dishes, you know, (laughs) or like whatever over the years, if I'm like, Oh, you know, my partner and I are having this thing that keeps coming up. Like her first question is, do you have an agreement? And Mm. it's Mm. been such a helpful reframe because I think a lot of us just have certain expectations without ever communicating them to each other, without having yes. an explicit agreement. And so much of that often comes from that idea of like, they should just know, or this is just how it yeah. is. Right. But especially if you're coming from like two totally mm-hmm. different cultures, I mean, and everyone's coming from different households and things like that, like, you can't just expect someone to know or expect that you are on the same page necessarily.
0: Yeah, right. Like, I I think that's actually one of the other things that ends up being a really big part of what I do is that, like, I I try and ask every partner, um, what what were you expecting? Because I think there's a lot about um, being quietly disappointed by a partner that can Mm -hmm. cause, like, a whole lot of stress that comes up a lot later. And it comes up in all these, like, ways that the other partner like really doesn't understand and they get confused. And it does feel like there's just like a lot to, there's a lot to say that need, that hasn't been said, like what you, what what you expected, or even what I like to do um, after we know what the expectations are, like say why you had those expectations. And then if those expectations are actually just like, they don't seem reasonable as you say them. Um, then we start to talk about like, well, how flexible are these expectations? What, what is a, what is a way that you want to think about this differently? Um, and, and I think like, what's really interesting about doing like couples work is that like being able to talk about expectations and, uh, if they want to change them in front of another part of the partner is that's an experience and an intervention in itself, Like, imagine if uh, for all those who are in individual therapy right now, if you've had a moment where you're with your therapist and you're like, man, I wish that my partner saw this right now, because then they'd understand. Imagine doing that, like being able to let your partner see that, like in couples therapy. Those are like some of my favorite moments where a partner gets to say like, oh, I didn't even know that you expected that from me, or I didn't even know that you were thinking about that this way like holy crap so glad that you shared that you know um, so i think there's there's a lot to be said about what you expected and and also what disappointment means what it means for your partner to like not know something about you and are you and are you willing to kind of like allow that to be discovered rather than sort of withholding it because the person didn't know automatically
1: mm I feel like something I hear about a lot is people saying, well, I have told my partner this, you know, Mm -hmm. and they just don't hear me or they're still just not doing it. And I'm curious what you tend to see is going on when people are, when they feel like they've been communicating Mm -hmm. and yet they're still somehow missing each other. Like what, what tends to be going on there? Yeah. That's a really good question because I, I do see that a lot.
0: Um, one thing that I always try to consider first or, or get more information about is like, okay, you're saying that you told them about this thing, about this thing that maybe you wanted or needed. How did you say it? When did you say it? And what kind of response did you get immediately? Because just to cover all bases here, like sometimes people think that they've communicated something And when you actually like get into the details of it, they actually didn't end up saying what it was they wanted. And instead they might even ask for like the opposite thing, but by accident. And then they get the thing that they didn't want. And then they blame the partner. And it's like, it's really, it can be really tough because the other partner then is just like, they thought they did the right thing. So I always ask for like context, like that's something to be examined too. It's just like, okay, I said that I wanted this thing. Well, okay. How did I say it? When did I say it? And also, did I tell the person that it was important to me? Because that's the other part that seems to get missed often when there's like a disconnect between two people is that like they maybe mention something in a very, very casual way when actually their body is telling them like, I need this, like I need this so badly. And it's way more intense than, than they let on. So that's like the first part. When the second part of when, like, let's say you, you're super clear about what you want and uh, like objectively, like anybody who you told that to, they would be like, okay, you want that thing? I'm going to do it. If you, if that happens and still the, the partner doesn't listen or doesn't do the exact like behavior that you were hoping or, or they don't say the right thing or, or do the thing that you wanted. Then like I always go to that partner who did the disappointing or like did or or didn't do the thing. And I want to understand like what it is that was going on for them when they got the request in the first place. And when I usually ask that question, like so many different things come up, because I think sometimes when we make a request of someone, if we think it's an easy thing to do or if we assume that it's like, OK, I'm just asking for this thing should be fine and it doesn't happen, then we think like, oh, that's like so silly or, or really dumb, or that pisses me off that, that I didn't get this thing that seems so simple. Sometimes when I ask that question about like, well, okay, why did not you do it? What happened there? Then like, they might say things like, actually, it's not as easy as, as he or she or they thought. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it, th- that request was actually really, um, it, it required so much of me. And then I ask why, and then we talk about it. So I think those, Like we have to consider those things because there's always a reason for someone either being blocked from doing something or from doing either the disappointing or the not doing.
1: Mm. And it's so interesting. Like you and I were talking before about how people might have super different communication styles too. Like in some cultures, indirect communication Mm. is much more common and acceptable and polite even. And in other cultures, it's like maybe people tend to a more kind of passive, aggressive Mm -hmm. (laughs) style or, or a super, super direct style, but like, there's so many different styles. Like I was sharing with you that I was surprised, you know, my boyfriend, his parents are from Ireland and immigrated here as adults. And I feel like even he and I have really different communication styles Mm -hmm. sometimes. And when I went Mm -hmm. to visit Ireland, it made so much more sense to me that to him, like there's just a different thing. Like in Ireland, I just met many people who made a lot of jokes and were like a lot less direct and things like that. So I just find that whole aspect of it really interesting Mm -hmm. too, that we kind of have to have compassion for um, our partner as well, if they're struggling to communicate in the way that we want them to, because it might be like mm-hmm. going against all sorts of understandings that they've had from a young age about how you're supposed to communicate with people.
0: Yeah, that that's so true. I think so. That's actually something that comes up quite a bit too, especially when people have decided that they're going to commit further to each other, like it's typically marriage, uh, but sometimes it could, it could be like other ways. Uh, but when it comes to like sharing things like an apartment or, you know, the chores and stuff like that, or like a place to live in general, like you often also at the same time start involving family more and each other's families. And I know that for like my couples who've been together for a really long time, something that we do talk about is how, they, there were things about their partner's communication that they did not understand until they met their partner's family. And their partner would say the same thing where it's like, oh my God, so this is why you do this? Wow. Or this is why you say it like this. Or this is why you use the same types of like phrasing all the time, even though it activates me, like I get it now. And, and that means that maybe I can I can either change my response or change what like it means to me because I think like we always, we're always kind of like constantly editing what we think and what we feel all the time. And there's a part of us that also tries to like be super rigid and like hold on to the, to the responses that we have to, to certain things. Um, But when you meet other people's family, your partner's family, there is an opportunity to be able to like understand where certain like behaviors and and beliefs like come from and I think like when it comes to under to responding to your partner's communication style um I think that's where a lot of the net what what emotion-focused therapy which is what I'm like learning how to do and like continuously like getting trained in doing is like we call it like a negative cycle and that's usually, it's it's just like a way of describing like when something happens, you react this way, the other partner reacts this way, and this is what they're feeling and this is what they're needing in terms of attachment style. Like depending on your communication style, if you're, it's very different than your partners, it can actually like activate parts of like your very old part of yourself and make you sort of like either desperate to, to like meet a certain need that it feels like it's not being met, or it can actually help push someone towards improving themselves. So like, you know, that, that saying like opposites attract, Mm -hmm. that's like a a super old saying where it's actually a lot more complicated than that. Um, but in some ways, that can be true. Like there are people who they have very different communication styles and um, somehow they're able to interact with each other in a way where like, they're also aware of why the, the partner's communication style actually works for them and why it historically has worked for them and why they keep using it. And so then they start to like learn from the partner about like, well, what works about that? What doesn't? And sometimes that partner will end up like being a better, uh, communicator than the original partner who had the idea in the, in the first place. Mm. So there's, uh, essentially like it's, it's one way, like, it's like if you're going to talk to your partner about like, Hey, I think our communication styles are, are different. Here's what doesn't work for me. And what does, what do we want to do about it? Those kinds of conversations can like do wonders. Um, mm. especially if you're open to understanding and you're open to like doing something different. But essentially I think we're all just like constantly trying to learn from each other because none of us know what we're doing and we're just trying to make it out alive.
1: <laughs> yes. And it feels like it's so important to have respect for the differences instead of I think sometimes we can feel so threatened or like you said kind of activated that it's mm-hmm. really easy to just be like you're wrong. That's wrong. That's bad, (laughs) but like having actual respect, and even sometimes when it's like I said, like like my partner, I feel like he can he's very like honest and expressive, and can talk about his emotions very clearly, which is wonderful. And he can also really use humor a lot where like Mm -hmm. I would be super serious. (laughs) So it's sometimes so effective for me to make a joke in a moment when he's not expecting it. Like I've, you know, I'm, I'm upset. And then I remember like, I don't know, to, to use his language a little bit and to make a joke about something. And it just brings us like instantly closer because (laughs) not only did it lighten the mood, but it made him feel like You know, more seen and more like, oh, she's really trying to move towards me as opposed to just telling me I'm wrong and I'm doing it wrong.
0: Yeah. That I I love that example um, because I mean, you're being flexible. (laughs) And often, like, that's like the secret ingredient to to like really like making it long term with someone is figuring out your type of flexibility and what you, what you can be flexible with. Like, I think this, what I see a whole lot is, um, exactly what you said earlier about like the, you're no, you're wrong. I'm right. That's how it is. And then you sort of like choose a hill to die on. (laughs) Um, and I gotta say, like, there are so many hills out there, And there are a lot of dead people on those hills. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And it's kind of just like not worth it sometimes. Like there's also that old saying that's like, um, uh, you know, like pick your battles basically. And and I think that's a really important one because it's talking about like flexibility. And I think like if you're a person who's like really, who you, you feel like it's really important to be right and you make it known to your partner that like, This is the right way to do these things. Like I'm right here and there's no other way around it. That it's such a disconnecting thing that it actually like, to me, it makes me sad when I, when I watch it happen, Mm. because it's kind of like you cut off like uh, an opportunity to really like connect with someone or to like be very present and just show someone that like we differ here. Like we have a difference in experience or in opinion and that's actually okay. Like, I don't need to believe everything that you believe. And in fact, like we can be okay that way when you, when you sort of like decide that you're going to die on that Hill. um, There's nobody else there. Uh, So I think like, it's an active choice to, to decide if you're gonna like, try and be like the one who's right all the time.
1: Yeah. I'm wondering in the same way that there are things like, like struggling with chores that come up that like, that's a problem that you can really normalize for couples and be like, yep, a lot of people struggle with this. Let's work with this. Are there behaviors you see that are normalized that really shouldn't be? Like mm. the flip, like, oh, well, everyone does this, but actually like, it would be much more loving to learn a new way and to not accept that as the norm.
0: Oh my God. That's such a good question. But
1: it, like the, the answer is yes. Like, I think there, there are
0: like quite a few behaviors that are normalized. Like, like I think shouldn't be because it doesn't allow for people to like connect to each other. I think the The thing that's coming to my mind like right now in like the biggest way is uh constant communication mm. um like between partners so like there's this stage in in like long-term relationships where um you know you're like all over each other in the beginning and like everything feels just so strong and like you're gonna go crazy if you don't like talk to the person and you communicate a lot like lots of texting lots of like FaceTime calls or for like, you know, Android users, (laughs) um, uh, just like uh, lots of like WhatsApp messaging and stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and that feel, that feels like very natural. Like you, you want to like establish a very strong connection in the beginning. And so like you do that and then time goes on and you're like, okay, well, I don't need to talk to someone like to talk to my partner, literally like every five seconds. That's, that's too much. Uh, sometimes, partners will actually like, even after like five years, will still expect that level of communication. And I think there is like a part of the, the thing that seems to be normalized, I think shouldn't be, is that like, that's um, cute for your partner to be, or see it's perceived as like really cute that like your partner if you, even like five years down the road is still like constantly texting or like you know every time you like go to the store you have to like text your partner to let them know that oh I'm at the store um and I think like honestly like where that comes from or, or that raises a red flag for me because I think about how uh that's a very ang- anxiety like it's coming from an anxious place to be in that level of communication constantly, it makes you almost like dependent on that level of communication. And I think it's very healthy and really important to know when you can, know that you can have space from someone and that you can reunite and, and, and when that can happen. So like, I don't, I think uh, sometimes couples will ask me, they'll, they'll say like, oh, um, my partner didn't like text me when she got off the plane or something. Um, and I got really, really upset and I started to call like this person, that person, cause I was, I was, wor- I was worried about, about my partner and the other partner will say like, yeah, no, I totally get it. Like, that's fine. But I want to know, like me, <laughs> I want to know, what is it that you actually like really needed like what what was the need for that level of response to not hearing from your, from your partner to me it comes from like a fe- that's like a fear response when like your partner's doing something consistently and then uh they don't do it one time and it, or there's like a there's like a delay or something it it like makes the partner
1: like absolutely like overreact at times So that's, that's one of them. That totally makes sense. And I think it's so interesting because you and I also in the past talked about the fear of losing, losing yourself in a relationship. And I think that example speaks to both sides of the coin of fear of losing yourself and fear of losing your partner and how both of those things, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes maybe one partner might have more of one of those fears than the other, or you could have both at the same time, which is like confusing, but but very possible, right? (laughs) Maybe one partner doesn't want to be in constant communication because they don't want to lose themselves. They don't want to be like Mm -hmm. so subsumed. And the other one might be so afraid of losing the partner that they are relying on that communication to feel secure.
0: Yeah. That actually, um, that brings up like uh, another, another thing that like couples will come to me about and they're not sure if it's normal, which is that fear of like losing yourself in the relationship or losing your like individuality. And that's why I think it's like, so, so important for, for everyone to kind of just like know what they're like on their own in, in, in any way. Like if you have like any sort of opportunity to be like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to go to the movies alone tonight. Or like, I'm going to go and have like lunch by myself today, or just like, just to just travel alone. Even like, I think those things are really important because they let you see yourself outside of the relationship. And I think some people don't give themselves that opportunity to see who they are without being with someone. And they end up like trying to define themselves by being with someone. And then later on, they end up feeling like they missed out on something or there's like an emptiness that that grows because they haven't given themselves the opportunity to like, know what they like and what they don't like. And so sometimes like when people are the opposite, like they they are very strong individuals and they know what they like, they know, they know what they don't like. And then they decide that they're going to be in a long-term relationship with someone they're going to commit. And that actually causes a lot of anxiety for those people because they worry that all of those likes and dislikes and hopes and dreams and stuff like that, Or even fears, like they worry that those things are going to get either lost, ignored, changed, and and that's a really scary thing because then they don't know what to do with that, and they don't know if it's okay. I think like something that we have to add to the equation is compromise. And what it actually looks like to compromise and what it could feel like. Because I think some people will hear the word uh, or hear the idea that like, yeah, you got to compromise in relationships. Like that's how we survive, essentially. They hear that and they think like, I'm not changing who I am. Or like, I refuse because like, that means that I have to become a totally different person or that I can't be myself. And that's actually not what we mean. Like compromising is a very cool like human tool and can just mean that like you are being very conscientious about like holding your needs and your comfort and your feelings along with another person's. And it doesn't mean that you have to like forget everything about yourself. We don't need to live at extremes, but we could try really hard to balance two things at the same time. I'll steal like the word from dialectical behavior therapy, which is the dialectic. You can hold two seemingly contradictory uh, thoughts at the same time or beliefs at the same time, and they can still work and give you some sort of peace.
1: Oh my gosh. It's so good. I think about Mm -hmm. what you said earlier about you're building something. And I feel like, you know, in the, in the example of like, maybe learning more about your partner's communication style and sometimes choosing to, to match it. Or like, like I said, like making a joke, you know, Mm -hmm. it actually allows you to like explore another shade of yourself. Sometimes Mm -hmm. when you, when you make a choice, like, Oh, I'm going to explore this because it's important to my partner. or I'm going to try this. Like you can actually remember a part of yourself or explore a part of yourself that maybe you wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's like really beautiful. Like to me, it brings more playfulness. It, it brings out the more playful side of my personality yeah. that can easily get lost when I'm just by myself and I'm overthinking and I'm anxious and I'm very serious yeah. about everything, you know, like when I don't cling so tightly to that, I get to explore a different part of me that adds something really beautiful to my life.
0: Yeah. If I'm not
1: like resisting that influence, you know?
0: Yeah, no, that that's so true. I, I think it's like, it's extraordinarily important. Like I, uh, I think that's why I also um, love couples therapy because you get to watch people learn things from each other um, and, and be grateful for that. But I say, but you're so right that there has to be like an openness to it or like a willingness to, to learn something new because if there isn't, then you can just do the same thing over and over again. If that's mm-hmm. how you want to live. That's how you want to live. But I guarantee you're going to be missing out on something.
1: Yeah. Hearing you talk about the dialectic too, makes me think of Esther Perel's work and how much mm-hmm. she talks about like how in a relationship you're constantly holding intention, like these different motivations, like how humans want safety and familiarity and comfort and security. And we also want freedom and mystery and, you know, adventure Mm -hmm. and the unknown and how in a relationship, those things like collide and are kind of, you're kind of always navigating like that tension, right? I would just love to hear anything, Mm -hmm. any thoughts you have on that tension in relationships.
0: Yes. Oh my God. The one thing that I feel like I say to most couples is, is that they have to stop taking everything so seriously. Um, and that like I really like what you said earlier about just like play it's just it's so important to be able to not only be able to balance like these intentions of like you know safety and familiarity and also mystery at the same time but like the playfulness is also like extraordinarily important um one thing also that I end up seeing a lot is like um couples think that it's, like, not okay to have issues with their sex life, or, like, they they worry that, like, talking about it will, like, make it real or something, that there's something that they, like, want more of, and I think it's really important, um, but Mike Moran, like, some someone who I've done um, sex therapy training with in emotion-focused therapy, he loves to talk about how, like, playfulness is basically a requirement um, of, of life, uh, but it's also very, very important for being able to like let your partner know that they are, that they are wanted um, and that like you can enjoy them and that you want to enjoy them. And it also like, I think playfulness also really allows for uh, the communication of safety. Um, because of course, like you can be too playful at times where like, you don't want someone to be like telling you that they, you know, heard awful news and then you make a joke about it, you know? Um, but there's something about being able to be like, I think intentionally playful, um, between, between like episodes of everything being taken seriously all the time. I think like some, some couples, like they get into these patterns where, um they're kind of just like you know we just want to know that we're doing well like are we doing a good job at our relationship like Nadia like tell us if we're doing well at our relationship and I'm like okay you guys are doing okay but like are you having any fun is there any like intentional fun time that you're having and if so like I also want to hear about those things because Mm -hmm. I think that's also very telling of how safe you feel with a person. If you can be playful with someone, you feel safe enough to be silly, be weird um, and like experiment with different things. If you don't feel safe with a person, it's really, really hard to do that.
1: Yeah, it's so vulnerable to be silly. It is. It's my favorite thing in the whole world. (laughs) And it's also like when I think about messages we get about love and romantic love, Like, it's just, Mm -hmm. I don't know, we get a lot of messages about how serious and passionate and deep and erotic and like all these things that it has to be and like real love and especially long term love and committed partnership like it's not just, it's not just the serious or the passionate or the romantic or whatever it's also two human beings who have so many different moods and parts, and like, yeah, you need to be, uh, yeah, you need to be silly and playful together, yeah. or else it's just a slog. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Absolutely, and also makes it really hard to go through all the other things if you don't get to have those moments with with your person. Which is why, like, I think it um, that idea that like it, it would be great to be with your best friend, like marry your best friend, or like if you don't believe in marriage, like just be with someone who feels like your best friend. like friends are people who have fun together and who care about each other. Like those are the requirements of a friendship, at least in my mind. Um, and for, for you to be able to like have that and build upon that, um, with the playfulness, but also with like taking your partner seriously, like, I think it's important to, important, especially to be intentional about that, about like knowing that, okay, I, I know we've been having like a really rough time partner. Um, but I just like, I want to spend time with you. What is something that we can do that's really fun together. And then we can go back to like being serious or like, we just, we need a to release together. Like, I feel like those kinds of things, people don't always know that they, that that's an option, um, that they can like, seek like an opportunity for a break but not in a break that's like you know from friends <laughs> like that kind of break <laughs> yes <laughs> but it, but a break uh between like the the really tough times like you can actually ask for that and it could actually it could do so much for reconnecting with a partner when you're feeling like things aren't going so well
1: yeah it also speaks to like being intentional and practicing things because i think some of this can feel unnatural and un- maybe even uncomfortable sometimes mm-hmm. or counterintuitive especially when you get into those patterns or you know it's not what you had modeled and i think sometimes because we so many people often have this underlying sense of like well this should just be easy we should just know how to do it mm-hmm. if if it's not if it's not effortless, then it's wrong or whatever it might be. And actually I've found that like, sometimes I have to do something, even if it feels not natural, or it feels like I should just, it feels like something that I should just be doing naturally, but I have to practice. So like, I have to practice playfulness. I have to practice yeah. like saying something in a warm tone, even when I'm, mm-hmm. when I want to just be like, Oh, just do this. you know Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I don't know. I feel like that's another thing that doesn't always get normalized, which is like, it might feel weird or uncomfortable and mm-hmm. it might even like, you might not get better at it or feel more natural about it or enjoy it until you've done it and practiced it.
0: Yeah. I, I think like any of the, anything that's new is a risk. And, and, uh, sometimes the, the risk is like, so scary that um you sort of convince yourself that you can't do something or that you can't say something and I think like something that I do say to my couples a lot is that like like especially if they're about to one partner is about to say something that they know is really hard for them but they just they need it to be out there they need someone to hear especially their partner I always tell them that like say it however you want and then we will be able to edit it later like There's nothing that can be, well, maybe not nothing, but there are many things that you could say that might seem like they'll be so scary to say, or that they would just be like, uh, earth shattering or like might ruin a relationship, but that, that like, they actually don't, (laughs) they don't ruin relationships. If you tell your partner that like, you know, um, they work really late and you get really scared that they're, you know cheating on you or something, or, and even though they have no evidence for it, it's just like a feeling like that doesn't break a relationship. Usually that allows for like your partner to have an idea of what is going on for you. Um, or like, if you want to give feedback to your partner, you really don't know how to do that. If you do it in couples therapy, at least with me anyway, (laughs) um, then like, I will always say that, like, if it doesn't come, if you feel like it didn't come out the first time we were, we are going to edit it later. Um, But the important thing is that it comes out at all because I think the the thing that happens a lot, um, um, just to answer your questions from before too, about like things that seem to be normalized that shouldn't be, is just like this complete avoidance of talking about hard stuff or of just like feeling like you're supposed to be really pleasant and not talk about anything difficult with your partner or just like, you know, just don't cause problems, don't complain about anything that is avoidance and often uh when you avoid things like that over time it ends up coming up somewhere and you end up blowing up and then nobody knows where it comes from and then you seem like the bad guy nobody wants that so i think there i think there's a lot to to that idea
1: Mm. yeah and it's like so often when you actually do name it and practice something like say you're the person who fears like you've been losing yourself a little bit mm-hmm. and you are like, you know what? I think I need like one night a week or like, I don't know, whatever it might be um, to just do my own thing. And that might be so scary, but ironically, mm-hmm. like you might in the same way that you can feel, you can stop seeing who you are, or maybe feel like the other person doesn't see you anymore. Like sometimes by getting that space, you like, you can remember who you are and they remember who you are and like parts of your relationship that were brighter in the beginning can get brighter again because you're more in touch with yourself. So like the thing that you were so afraid to name and try can be the thing that actually makes your relationship like way better than it was.
0: Oh my goodness. Yes. That it's just so true, which is why I think like I really respect my couples for coming in like mm-hmm. every week and. Being courageous enough to say the things, share the things that they share, talk about the things that they talk about, um, knowing that is deeply, deeply uncomfortable and, and that there's huge risk in being honest. And my couples do it every week and it's really amazing to me because they learn so much from each other and I feel like also most of the time I'm also needing to give credit to them like with like in the sessions because like they they also sometimes don't realize how hard they're working mm. and, and how much like effort they're putting in. And yeah, it just it just feels like when people give themselves the ability to practice something um that's different for them, uh, like like you said, like asking for for just time alone, like they're able to do they can feel they start to feel like they could do anything. Mm. Like maybe more. Than they did before, and they can, which is really cool. So yeah, I try to give those like opportunities, or sometimes I'll like ask my couples to like practice a specific thing. Like, um, you know, when you notice this coming up, try like give yourself a second to think about what it is, you, how it is you want to come across. Come up with two different ways that you can come across that way, and then pick one. Like just working through those decision making processes but always emphasizing that like, sometimes you really just need to practice how to pause yes. and not react immediately. Oh my gosh. You know, like so... go away for like two minutes yes. <laughs> and then come back.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's so huge. Like literally just breathing and like pulling in your prefrontal cortex. Like, come on.
0: <laughs> we can do yes, this. <laughs> yeah. It's calling in the team.
1: <laughs> you said something last time we talked about how, about self-worth and how a relationship is really all about figuring out your self-worth and what you want and being willing to ask for it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was just wondering if you had anything to add to that on on that topic of self-worth in a relationship.
0: There's a, a lot on that <laughs> because it just it feels like such an important thing to um to talk about especially in in like the work that I do, but I think in general everybody should be Thinking about how they define their self worth. Sometimes, it, like people will define themselves their self worth by, oh, am I in a relationship, and then not think about like, well, am I actually happy in this? Like, is this worth it for me? Like, it, it, like, do I deserve the type of treatment that I'm getting? And then, and then there are the people who feel like they can't talk about whether or not they're worthy enough for something, or. Like self worth seems to be defined in like so many different ways for people. But if you are getting any sort of like understanding of your self worth from your partner, which like I think all of us do that, like we need, we need a little bit from people. Like we need people. That's just the thing. We would be nowhere without, without other people. But like, so it's, so it's not a bad thing to be like, yeah, just the person that I love, do they love me back? That's not, that's definitely not a bad thought. But if you are like trying, figuring out whether or not you, your self-worth is at all determined by how your partner treats you, um, you have to be really honest about what that is with yourself. So you can't pretend that like, oh, I don't need anybody, um, at all. Like, I don't care what, what my partner thinks about me. Like they're just with me and that's it. That attitude usually doesn't really help because like, it's, it's usually kind of like masking, like a need to feel just a little bit more appreciated by your partner. And, and if you're a person who's just like, I need my partner to like, always kind of tell me that I'm worthy or that like, you know, I'm really important or I'm the best or something that usually comes from a place of like, you maybe, maybe there's like a limited number of thing of of sources of self-worth that you have. And you have to figure out like what those things are. Just don't pretend that they come from no one. (laughs) Because I think we do really like rely on other people's perceptions for certain things, especially your partner. And like just in general, I think uh, sometimes self-worth can be seen through how you ask uh, your partner for things because if you do feel like well I'm worthy of being treated like really respectfully like at the basic level like I should be respected i've seen people learn through couples therapy and their own individual therapy like how they can start to tell their partner after years of not being able to do this before they're able to say things like hey that thing that you did that did not make me feel respected i think we need to talk about that and just that just that like statement can allow people to uh, can allow the partner to think like, Oh, my partner really values themselves. I value them too. So I want to do something about this. So I think there's a lot of directions to go with self-worth, but those, those
1: are some of them. Yeah. If someone comes in and they are struggling with their self-worth, is there a small thing, like a small step that you, suggest to someone to help them connect to like an intrinsic sense mm-hmm. of self-worth, like just a starting place?
0: Yeah. Well, I use, I usually like, use myself as a tool like mm-hmm. in, in, in my sessions, especially with a couple. Well, yeah, in general, like as a therapist, but when there's someone who's struggling, a partner who's struggling with self-worth and they, and it's very obvious that that's something that they need to work on or that like, Basically, like, deserve to see themselves in a better way and something so hard on themselves. I say it. I say I I, like tell them that like this is something that I'm noticing that it just feels like um, the emotions that you're having. Like, you feel like you're not allowed, or there are things that are happening to you and part your partner's giving you certain things that like don't feel good to you. But it seems like it seems like you feel like you can't ask for something different. I, I want you to know that that makes me sad. It makes me feel like maybe you don't, there's certain things that you might want to learn about yourself to show that you are actually really worthy of being treated well. And that you're, that you are worthy of like feeling happy and feeling good and learning new things. Um, So I usually like, once we start talking about it or like naming it, within like if it's in the couples therapy context that work on self self work worth actually happens faster because it's such a high a high arousal high intensity like situation in a couple session sometimes where like it's almost like forces the the person to be like okay if the couples therapist is saying this and my partner's over here like listening to this and they're not fighting it And they're not telling, they're not disagreeing with the therapist that like, I deserve happiness. Hmm. Maybe I should rethink that. So that's one thing. If you're already in couples therapy, or even if you're in individual therapy, if you're with me, I'm going to tell you. (laughs) But in terms of like doing something that's like uh, on your, on your own like you're sort of like you're not in treatment at the moment and there isn't someone who can like you know give you the push basically to really like evaluate it and figure out what it is you believe about yourself then I would just start to first of all I like journaling I think it's a great thing mm-hmm. um I know some people don't like it uh but there are so many like journal prompts you just gotta google them and if you just sort of write out about the things that you feel like you you contribute to like your ability to be happy and also make others happy or feel good, then it, once you read them to yourself, you can start to have other insights about yourself and you can figure out where you want to, is there anything that you're writing down or reflecting on that you feel like you could challenge? And does everything that you think and feel about yourself, is it totally hundred percent true? Is there anything that we can sort of like, is there any wiggle room And there, I would basically just question those thoughts or beliefs or feelings that that are related to, I'm not worth it. I'm not worth the good stuff. And to see what, and that is actually something uh, that you can practice like daily or even a couple of days a week, if you want to, a couple of times a day, if you want to.
1: Oh my gosh, I could talk to you for hours, but I already have. So,
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, no, this is great. I
1: love it. <laughs> I, I try to end with I've kind of dropped the ball on this, but I want to bring it back. I often end with the, a question, which is just what's something that you are learning about or growing into?
0: I really like that question. I think like I'm going to, I'm going to take it personally <laughs> um, and yeah. give you like the personal answer uh which is that like I think because I'm seeing so many couples right now and they're coming with so many different things and like and and challenges and like and beautiful things too like I I like, I love when when my couples have breakthroughs because it feels like I was there for that, like with them, like my relationship too or something. But I, I feel like something that I'm really growing into is taking the experiences that I hear of other people and learn, when I learn about the different ways that people do things, I try to put, I try to examine like what it is that I'm doing and where that fits in with like, all this variety and diversity that I get to see all the time. And I'm growing into the idea of having choice of like knowing that I don't have to do something a certain way and that like, I can be even more flexible than I thought I was before. So I think I'm growing into having my own version of like relational freedom (laughs) because of what, Mm. I get to see from people all the time.
1: That's so awesome. If people want to find you and your work, is there anywhere online that they can go to learn more about you?
0: Yeah. Um, I have an Instagram that I'm like sort of working on, if it can count as that. Uh, I'm <laughs> at Dr. Nadia Nieves. Awesome.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. This has been so fascinating and it's Thank been like you. one of the hardest ones to decide what to ask because I just wanted to ask you everything. So, <laughs> <laughs> your questions are fantastic. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Perennials podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, or leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. You can follow along on Instagram at perennialspodcast or send me an email at perennialspodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. The song you're hearing now is I Orbit a Moon by Paul Finn.